you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 24. We're going to get there in just a minute. So I've been a Baptist my entire life. Literally my entire life. I'm about to be 44 years old next month. And that means my parents are in their 90s. And I... But, but from the time before I could remember, when I was in my mother's womb, I was in a Baptist church. I have been a part of a Baptist church my entire life. By force, when I was little. By choice, now as an adult. And I have heard all of the things that Baptists say and do. All the traditions, uh, all, all the, the language, how the language has even changed. You know, we used to have um, meals after service, and it used to be called church on the grounds. Right? That was called church on the grounds. And it was potluck. Now we just say, hey, we're going to eat after church. Everybody bring a dessert or a side dish. Right? Language change. Traditions change. Uh, I've, I've heard all the stuff. That's what I'm trying to say. I've heard all the stuff. One thing that I have heard... My whole life, one of my earliest memories of being in a Sunday school was being told by my Sunday school teacher, who at the time was probably in her 50s and 60s, that before, she believed beyond a shadow of a doubt before she died, Jesus was coming back. Well, she's not with us anymore. And Jesus has not yet come back. But I remember her telling me, I mean, as a little kid, I'm telling you, boys and girls, Jesus is going to come back before I die. I've heard my, my whole life, every, every stage of my life, I have been told Jesus is coming back soon. Jesus is, we are in the last days and Jesus is going to come back any moment now. Just be ready for it. And when I would ask the question or when the question was posed by somebody else, how do you know that? Usually the answer goes something like this. Well, just look around. Things are so bad. I mean, things are terrible. We have wars and rumors of wars and we have earthquakes and we have violence and we have sin rampant. And that is the reason why we know Jesus is coming back soon. And I remember as I got older and begin to study history and begin to study the Bible, I remember thinking to myself, that is such a strange claim to make. It's such a strange claim to make that we are in the last days and Jesus is going to come back before we die and we know that Jesus is going to come back soon because things are really bad. Because one of the reasons I think that is strange is because when I look at history, do you know what I see? Things have always been really, really bad. Really, really bad. Yo, I'm talking really, really bad. Things that, that in the United States are just now kind of coming to the forefront. Other societies have been dealing with that for thousands of years. We, we can look at history and see there have been wars and earthquakes and, and natural disasters and rampant sin and violence. And we can look at any generation in the past and see that. So I thought it was strange that we say 
He's got to come back in our generation because things have gotten so bad. I think the only way you can really say that is if you take a very, very myopic, narrow view and say, from my experience, things have gotten worse. But when you step back and you look at the history of the world, you really can say, man, things have always been really, really bad. Really, really difficult. I'm, I've, I've even had people say something like this to me before. Well, you'll just look at the persecution that's happening in the United States now. Christians are not even able to, to speak up because uh, of the intimidation. And I'm not saying that's not true to a certain degree. But my gosh, I mean, what are we talking about? They haven't been able to speak up legally in China this entire time. They've been getting killed and they've been getting uh, in the Soviet Union. When when the Soviet Union was around, if you were a Christian, they'd come and raid your homes. I remember in sixth grade hearing a missionary come from Russia and talk about being beaten. And and I'm sitting there and I'm like, so persecution has been going on all over the world. But because it's getting a little harder for me, Jesus got to come back. You you see what I'm saying? So I I think it's strange that we make the argument Jesus is going to come back in our lifetime because things have gotten bad. Another reason why I find this argument strange is because when I go to Matthew 24, it seems that Jesus says, nobody's going to know when I'm coming back. Like, you're not going to know. Now, Matthew 24 has caused a lot of people a lot of trouble when they interpret it. It's been very difficult for people to interpret Matthew 24. Let me tell you what I think is happening in the chapter. Okay, let me me tell you what I think is happening in the chapter and where we're going to go this morning. Jesus and his disciples come walking into Jerusalem. At the beginning of Matthew 24. Now, Herod the Great had built the temple and the surrounding buildings of the temple to glorious heights. I mean, it was amazing. And as Jesus and the disciples are walking through this temple area, the disciples say to Jesus, Look at this. Look at this. How great this is. Jesus responds by saying, this is all going to come tumbling to the ground. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Now, you need to understand something about what is called Second Temple Judaism. So the first temple got destroyed right before Israel went into Babylonian captivity. When the Babylonians under King Nebuchadnezzar attacked Israel, they destroyed the temple. The temple was then rebuilt after they came back from 70 years of Babylonian captivity. The temple was rebuilt and then Herod expanded it and used the resources and and made it grand and huge and unbelievable. That that's called Second Temple Judaism. Right. So you have First Temple Judaism. It got destroyed. Then you have the Second Temple Judaism. Jesus is living in the time period known as Second Temple Judaism. Now, here's what you need to understand about how the Jews viewed the temple and second temple Judaism. They believed that when they rebuilt the temple, they were ushering in this new thing of God. This new age that God was going to bring. And if the temple got destroyed, 
it meant the end of the world. Because it would mean the end of the age. So, when Jesus says, this temple's going to get destroyed, they say, well, tell us when this whole end of the world thing's going to happen. They believed if this temple falls, then the end of this age has happened. And God has come back and he's ended this age and he's going to do what he's going to do. Now, here's what I think is happening in Matthew 24. I think Jesus is correcting that for them. I think Jesus is saying to them, you guys have it wrong. The new thing that I was doing was not in a physical temple. It was in me as the temple. You with me? So he is correcting them by saying this temple can fall. And the age hasn't come to an end. I'm the temple. My people will build will be the temple. It's not this physical building. It's me. And then what Jesus does for the first half of Matthew 24 is he goes on to tell them about the signs and the wonders and the things they could be looking for to know when the temple's going to fall. He even tells them when to leave Jerusalem. He literally tells them, when you see these things happen, get out of here. Because the Roman army's coming in, and war's going to break out, and the temple's going to fall, and you don't want to be here. It's interesting, when you read Jewish historians and Christian historians, do you know what they say about the fall of the temple in 70 AD? They say that almost no Jewish Christians were killed. You know why? None of them were there. They weren't there in 70 AD because Jesus had told them what to do. So when we see all the language of wars and rumors of wars and the abomination of desolation and all of these things, the beginning of the first half of Matthew 24, Jesus is not talking about his second coming. He's talking about the destruction of the temple. We know this from the text and we also know this from how it was interpreted by the early Christians. They interpreted this as talking about the, the temple being destroyed and they get out of there. Then what happens? Oh, one more thing. In verse 24 of Matthew 24, Jesus says this, This generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Now, I don't know about you guys, but if all the things that Jesus talked about before verse 24 haven't taken place, this seems like a really weird statement to make then. Because Jesus says, everything I just told you, your generation is going to experience it. And if we interpret Matthew 24, the first part of it as being the destruction of the temple, guess what? That generation experienced all of it. Around 30 years later, a little over, the temple falls. This generation experiences it. It is not until verse 36 that Jesus actually starts talking about the second coming. If you want more details on the first 35 verses, I would encourage you to go to our YouTube channel. I did a series on Matthew 24 where I walked through um, every single verse of the chapter. 
Um, I would encourage you to go back and you can listen to all of that. Um, I've given you a brief summary of about seven or eight sermons. Because what I want to do is I want to talk about verse 36 and following this morning. I want us to look at the second part. I want us to look at the second coming. I want us to look at what Jesus talks about. I'm going to build the case that this is when he begins talking about the second coming. And then I'm going to talk about some of the things he says about the second coming. And I want to talk about how we can be ready for the second coming. So in Matthew chapter 24, we'll start in verse 36. And then I will probably read verse, down to verse 44. Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, there were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all the way. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day the Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Jesus starts off in verse 36 by saying this, but concerning. Now you read that in English and you go, okay. Doesn't seem very consequential. <coughs> However, it literally could be translated, but about. But about. This was a phrase that was used in Matthew and throughout the New Testament to change to a new subject. It was a phrase, and in fact, Paul uses it in 1 Corinthians um, a over a handful of times. He uses it to change subjects. He's talking about one thing, and then he'll say, but about this thing, and then he'll talk about that thing. But about this thing, and then he'll talk about that thing. So it's language that was used to change into a new subject, to talk about something new. So Jesus has been talking about the destruction of the temple in AD 70. But about the second coming, he, now he's changing what he's talking about. I have been talking about this, but now concerning or but about the second coming, now he's moving into talking about something else. The next phrase, the day or hour, he's saying, but now concerning the day or the hour of my coming or the second coming of this or the, the coming of the son of man, that day or that hour, nobody knows. Nobody knows. Now, now listen to what has been happening in verses four through thirty five. Jesus has been telling them how they can know something. Here's how you know the temple is about to fall. This is going to happen, and 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 this is going to happen. And when you see these things happening, get out. He's telling them things they can know. The signs that the temple is going to fall. Here is what I need you to know. But concerning this 
end of the age, concerning the coming of the Son of Man, concerning what we call the second coming, nobody knows. I don't got no, I, I ain't got no signs for you. There's, there's, there's nothing you can look to that's going to reveal to you when I'm coming back. Nobody knows. The angels don't know. You disciples don't know. 2,000 years from now, my followers, the Christians, will not know. Jesus even says, in my humanity, I do not even know. No one knows. Now, if Jesus, if this whole chapter is about the second coming, which so many people interpret it that way, you, you may have heard your whole life, wars and rumors of wars, the abomination of desolation, all that language talking about a pre-trib rapture that's going to take place. I mean, I, 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 yeah, a pre-trib rapture that's going to take place. You have no doubt got that from the beginning of Matthew chapter 24. But wouldn't this mean that Jesus isn't making too much sense? He's saying, here's the signs. Here's all the things to look for. Here's how you can get out. Here's all the wonders. Here's the things so that you can know, but nobody can know. What? Can, I, can we know with the signs and the wonders or can we not know? Because you seem to be saying two different things. Well, he's saying two different things because I believe he's talking about two different things. He's talking about the temple being destroyed. Here's all the signs. Here's all the wonders. Here's all the things you can know. But concerning the hour and the day of the second coming, nobody's going to know. Nobody's going to know. He's not contradicting himself. Now, we don't have time to go into great detail as to what Jesus means when he says, I do not even know. But I think he's making the utmost point. If Jesus says, I don't even know, what stronger point could he make to say, you're not going to know? Right? Like, I don't have detail to go into like his humanity and his divinity and how he knew. And how... Jesus is making a point. If I don't know, you don't know. Now, when it comes to temple falling, oh yeah, you can know. I'm telling you. Get out. Here's what to look for. And that's exactly what they did. So nobody knows. No one's going to know. How would they know? No one's going to know. I think it's a TikTok. Isn't that a TikTok? <laughs> then look at what Jesus does in verse 37. He's going to make a point about his second coming by talking about Noah. Noah and the flood in the days of Noah. That's what he does in verse 37. Now I want to point out that Jesus uses the Greek word parousia. In verse 37, um, the coming of the Son of Man. This is, a, this is a word, it's a New Testament term for the second coming. So we're not talking about the destruction of the temple here. We're talking about the second coming. This is the New Testament word for the fullness appearance of the second coming of the Son of Man. Not the destruction of the temple. And notice how Jesus describes the world In these unprecedented catastrophes, he says, when I come back, it's going to be like the days of Noah. What was happening in the days of Noah? People were eating. People were drinking. People were getting married. 
People were being given in marriage. Life was happening like normal. Normal activities were going on. And then the flood. This underlines the lack of a prior warning. Jesus is saying, listen, there was, they didn't know when it was going to rain. Noah and his children didn't even know for sure when it was going to rain. They were given instructions to build the ark, but they didn't know for sure when it was going to rain. The people didn't know. Normal day-to-day activities were happening. And then Jesus came. Sam Storms writes this. He says, humanity will be immersed in the routine affairs of life. When Jesus comes back, people will have nothing to point to to tell them the end is coming. People will be, as verse 39 says, unaware. So just like in the days of Noah, when people were living lives before this boom, this thing hit them, so will be the day's second coming. People will be living normal activities, right? Think about what it says in the next verse. When it says uh, in verse 40, Two men will be in a field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. You can't get any normal than that. The people that will be, t- that will be taken and left, assuming, right, one's Christian and one's not, they're in the field working. Jesus comes. The Christian's not in the church building, hiding out, going, it's about to happen, about to happen, about to happen, about to happen, here it comes, here it comes, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, rapture! No, it's not the way it's going to work. <laughs> They're working in the field. They got up that morning, they poured themselves some coffee, and they went to work. And Jesus came back. Two women, grinding at the meal. One is taken, one is left. They got up, they got their kids ready for school, got their lunches packed, sent them off, went to work, home or outside of the home, and Jesus comes back. You can't get any more more normal than going to work. That's what Jesus said it's going to be like. People are going to be going to work, and then I'm going to come back. You're not going to wake up one morning and go, okay, it's going to be real close today. It's got to be today. No. You're going to be typing on your computer. Jesus is coming. Then look at what he says in verse 40 and 41. I've already read part of it to you. Then two men will be in a field. One will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, one will be left. R.T. France probably one of the, the best comments, uh, com- uh, commentaries I have ever read on Matthew. Um, he's the one who mentioned these normal activities that will be going on. You can't get any more normal and unthreatening than working on a farm. But I want you to see something. I have been taught my entire life. Remember, I've been in a Baptist church my whole life. My whole life. I'll probably be in a Baptist church from womb to tomb, okay? I have been taught my entire life that these two verses are talking about the rapture. That what's going to happen is two people are going to be in a field working. One is going to be snatched away and taken to heaven, and one's going to be left on the earth. 
And one's going to be working and snatched away, and one's going to be left on the earth. Let me tell you why I don't think that's the proper way of interpreting this. What is the illustration Jesus has already used? Who is he comparing it to? The days of who? Noah. Who was taken away, swept away in Noah's day? The righteous or the unrighteous? The unrighteous. The righteous were protected from the wrath of God. It was the wicked who were snatched away by the flood. When Jesus says here, two people are going to be working. One's going to be taken and one's going to be left. He's not talking about being snatched away to the present heaven. He's saying, when I come back, I am going to sweep away the wicked. The righteous who will not experience the wrath of God will remain. It's the wicked who are going to be swept away. This is not talking about a rapture. This is just simply talking about who is going to experience the wrath of God and who will not. Jesus saying, like the days of Noah, when the flood came, the wicked were swept away and the righteous were protected. And in the second coming, when I come, the wicked are going to be swept away in my wrath and the righteous will not experience my wrath because Jesus took it for him. He is the ark. That's a whole different sermon, by the way. So Jesus is actually saying the opposite of what kind of like the left behind books talk about. It's not this snatching away. He's not even, he's not even addressing that here. Paul talks about that later. This, that's not what he's talking about here. What he's talking about here is just who's going to experience the wrath of God and who is not. And then he says this in verse 42. Therefore, stay awake. Stay awake. He gives two illustrations that prove this point Prove his point further. The first is a thief. A thief. It seems to call for constant alert. Since no amount of guessing can anticipate when the thief will come, guess what? You got to always be ready. If you knew the exact hour that the thief was coming, you wouldn't have to worry about it till that hour. Right? If I knew that someone was going to break into my house at 2.30 in the morning, I would not have to worry at 1.30 about what was going to happen at 2.30. At 1.30, I could just be sitting on the couch waiting, just relaxing, watching basketball, just chilling. Then at 2.30, I'm ready to go. Jesus says, but I'm going to come like a thief in the night. You're not going to know when I'm coming. So you got to stay awake the whole time. Be always aware and ready and alert. He sums up his point in verse 44. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Just like Noah and his family were ready... Ark is done. We've been about the, God's business. We're ready. As soon as it rains, like, I mean, as soon as God set, tells us to get in the, the boat, we'll get in the boat. We're ready to go. Here, the homeowner is ready to go. 
He doesn't know the exact time the burglar is coming. He doesn't know exactly when the thief is going to come, but he is ready. Jesus is telling the disciples, guys, you don't know when I'm going to come back. The angels don't know when I'm going to come back. I don't know when I'm going to come back. So guess what? Be always ready. Always. Always ready. When I've taught this before, I've had people ask me a question like this. Well, Neil, if we're not supposed to be running around looking for the signs of the second coming, right? We're not supposed to have a Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other, and we're trying to figure it out and piece the puzzles together. No doubt many of you have probably bought books on the second coming that kind of, uh, um, uh, there was one book called The Four Blood Moons that was written, I think, in like 2016. And basically after that, seven years later, the world was supposed to end. And I'm like, well, we're like six years from that. And so next year's it. And there was supposed to be a whole bunch of stuff that happened between then and now, and that hasn't happened. Wasn't there a book written called like 89 Reasons Jesus is going to come back in 1989? Um, Well, that didn't happen. Uh, You see what happens, right? Is all these books get written and all these, these, these messages get taught with a Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other, and they're trying to figure it out. And guess what they've done for the last 150 years? Just get it wrong, 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 wrong. I would argue... You're wasting your time. Church, I would also argue when we read those books, we're kind of wasting our time. Because Jesus is saying, listen, if the angels don't know and the disciples didn't know and I didn't know, you're not going to know. So instead of spending our time trying to figure it out, how about we be about kingdom business every single day? Let's just get doing what God has told us to do so whenever he comes back, we're ready. And the truth is, it could be before any of us go. I hope it's before I'm done speaking today. That's what I hope. I hope Jesus comes back before we ever even leave this room. But whenever it is, I want to be about kingdom business. I don't want him to, him to come back finding me trying to figure it out. And me, me go like, well, whoops. I had, I, had it a couple, I had it a couple years from now. My bad. I don't want that. I, I want him coming back seeing me sacrifice for people and love for people and give for people and, and doing to the least of these. And, and I, I want Jesus to come back finding us, Calvary Hill, being about kingdom business. That's what I want him um, to find. So when people ask me, well, Neil, if we're not supposed to try to figure out the signs of the second coming, then what are we supposed to do in regards to the second coming? My response is Jesus' response. Therefore, be aware. Just be always ready. Be ready today. And tomorrow, be ready tomorrow. That's what the disciples did. Every day, they're ready. They're ready. They're ready. That's what the church has done for 2,000 years. You can, re- you can go back and read commentaries of people 2000, I mean, about 500 years ago or older, and, and guess what they were telling people? Could be in our lifetime, so be ready. Let's be about it. Let's be about it. It's, good. it's coming. Live each day as if Jesus could return that day. Do you remember when Jesus was 12 years old? You know, we don't have a lot of stories of Jesus when he was a kid. 
I wish we had more. One of the, I think man, one of the cool things about when Jesus returns, I think it's sit down with Mary and be like, can you tell us what Jesus was like when he was a kid? <laughs> she's, yeah, she's going to be like, we never talked back. And, and we're all going to be like, well, that's, we all talked back. But we, we have this one story. Where they go to the temple and they're leaving to go home and Jesus and his whole family and their entourage and their, their family and their group. There's probably a bunch of people with them and they all start to head back to Nazareth and they realize somewhere along the way that Jesus wasn't with them. So they start asking around. Anybody seen Jesus? Anybody seen Yeshua anywhere? I, I haven't seen him. No, I, I don't know. I thought he was with you. No, I thought he was with his friends. No, I thought 12 years old, they don't know where their son is. So they all turn around, they go back where they came from. Follow your steps, trace your steps backwards. And they find Jesus in the temple conversing and talking with the rabbis and teachers. Twelve years old. Sitting down with all the trained religious men. Now, think about this. At twelve years old, was Jesus trained in the, to be one of the religious elite? No, he was a trained carpenter. Now, he knew that, I'm sure he knew the Torah. I mean, they taught him the Torah, but it's not like he was training to become one of the temple rabbis. And yet here he is at 12 years old, sitting down with them, and they are amazed by this kid. They're like, what 12-year-old comes in here and does this? And his parents come up to him, no doubt, freaking out. And they're like, Yeshua, we have been looking for you everywhere. We finally come back to get you. And remember what he says to him? He says, did you not know that I'd be about my father's business? I don't know a lot of what we can learn from 12-year-old Jesus. But we can learn this. When Jesus comes back for us, He left. When He comes back and He finally finds, you know, gets us, may we be able to say to Him, we've been about our Father's business. We've been about His kingdom business. And that is where you find us today. You may be at work. Be about the Father's business at work. Love your coworkers. Yes. Work is under the Lord. Yes. Bear out the fruit of the Spirit. And if Jesus comes back while you're typing on your computer, may He come by, back to see that you have ministered to the people that you work with. Students, may He come back to see that you have ministered to your friends, that you've been a blessing in your home to your siblings and your parents. May, may God come back to find us about the kingdom business. So I would just encourage us today to do this. Let's not spend our time trying to figure out something that we're not going to be able to figure out. Let's do what we know we're supposed to do. 
what has been clearly told to us in Scripture. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And when Jesus comes back, let's have him find us doing that with everything we are so that we may hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servants. Let's pray. Lord, I come to you. I thank you for this message, Lord. And God, I'll be the first one to admit, talking about eschatology and end time stuff and, and the second coming, it, 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 it's difficult. It's hard. We're talking about figurative language and pictures and, and it, it's difficult. And it's, it's, it's not something that is easy for us to understand. And that's probably why we have so many different views on all of these things within your church. Lord, what I, what I hope that, I, that I've been able to do this morning is to demonstrate the priority for us. We may have disagreements as to what this verse means or what that verse means, but, but I hope I've been able to, to put forth what you put forth as the priority. You're coming back. We know it. Our hope is fixed upon it. And until that day, we want to live every single day as if it is our last. Loving you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Loving our neighbor as ourself. Bearing forth the fruit of the Spirit. Loving our enemies. Praying for those that persecute us. Resisting temptation. Walking in the Spirit and rejecting the flesh. Expanding the kingdom of God and the new creation everywhere we go. Lord, I want that to be my life. I want that to be the life of Calvary Hill. I want us to be a people who have their eyes fixed upon being what you've called us to be. Lord, we cannot do this in and of our own strength and of our own power. We've got to have your Holy Spirit working in us. We are weak. We are frail. We, we do not have the ability to do this without you doing it in us. And so we come together collectively, Lord, and we say, please move within us. Give us the faith to be this. Give us the faith to live every single day as if it is the Lord's day. In Jesus' name we pray.